good morning and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're continuing our series through the Gospel of Matthew, exploring the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and how those things don't just drop into history out of nowhere, but rather they are the culmination and fulfillment of what God has been up to since the very beginning of creation pursuing those that he created with a relentless, never-quitting love. And that in Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, that message has extended across time and space to all people so that even us today, 2,000 years and 7,500 miles away, are being transformed and renewed in the image of our creator through our Lord Jesus Christ as he transforms hearts and brings the dead back to life. And yet, even in Jesus' day, in reality, as it is in ours as well, not everyone was thrilled about the message and ministry of Jesus. And so today we have a passage where Jesus has a clash with the powers that be. In his ministry, he had traveled all over the region, healing the sick, casting out demons, comforting the sorrowful, forgiving sins, all the while making grand statements in both word and deeds to being the fulfillment of the Torah, the Lord of the Sabbath, the the greater than the temple. He was greater than the prophet Jonah or King Solomon. He was claiming to be the very Messiah that the people had waited for. All that to say, Jesus had done an incredible job offending those in power. There was nobody whose claim to power, privilege, and authority that Jesus hadn't offended. And so in our text today, two of those offended groups conspire together in a classic, the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. Jesus found himself in a not-so-friendly conversation with the Pharisees and their disciples, who were the, the religious elites of the day. They were the religious authorities. The people looked to them for how to honor God in what they thought and did. And they were known for their rigid adherence to the rules of law, so much so that they would even make rules to keep people away from getting close to offending God's law. And we often think of the Pharisees as these rigid, legalistic, and ill-willed people. But I have to believe that it began for them in a place of a desire to honor God and to live rightly. And yet somewhere along the line, they lost their way. They lost the spirit of love and grace of God and built their lives on a foundation of adherence to rules. And then we have the Herodians. And we talk a lot less about the Herodians in church. They come up less often, but they were a group of politically aligned Jewish people who had aligned themselves with King Herod, who was the Roman puppet king in the region of Jerusalem and the the surrounding area. And so he was a constant reminder to the people of Israel, that they were not, in fact, a free and autonomous people of God, free to worship as the Lord called them to. They were living under the oppressive rule of Rome. 
And King Herod was, in essence, a constant reminder of the power that Rome flaunted over the people of God. And King Herod, a Jew himself, at the cost of betraying his own people, sold out to Rome for the sake of power, prestige, wealth, and influence. And so these groups who despised each other conspired against Jesus because they saw that each had something to lose. And I, it, it cracks me up how they do this. They butter up Jesus. They come to him. They say, teacher, you are so wise. You are godly and you always make the right decisions. You don't respect anybody above anybody. You don't play favorites. You always say and do what God wants. So what is your opinion? They try to build him up so that they can knock him down, right? And then they hit him with a landmine political question. They try to paint him into a corner with an impossible question. It's kind of like saying, Jesus, you are so wise and you never make any mistakes. You do everything right and you are really smart. So what is your opinion, Trump or Biden? It was a tense and uncomfortable political question. And he knew it was a trap. They said, Jesus, what about the imperial tax? And the imperial tax was a tax that Rome would put on the people that it conquered and subjugated. Roman citizens did not pay it. But each and every Jew was responsible to contribute to their oppressor. And they understood that this was like taxing the prisoner to pay the jailer. It was a constant reminder to the Jewish people that they were living under Roman rule. And there was no correct answer to the question they asked. If he said, yes, it's right to pay the imperial tax, then, uh, then, they offend, then he offends the, the Pharisees, and he has betrayed his people. What do you mean? You're justifying Rome's oppression over us. But if he said no to please the Pharisees, then he offends the Herodians who could arrest him for teaching treason publicly. There was no correct answer to the way they worded their question. And so Jesus refuses to play the game. I want to make a side note here. I think this might resonate with where some of you are at in your experience as a Christian in this world today. Like Jesus, you are not obligated to respond to bad faith attacks on your Christianity. There's a lot of mudslinging that goes and a lot of dragging of the Christian faith in this world. But when we participate in the mudslinging ourselves, it's far more likely that everyone comes away dirty then we're going to come away with a win. Jesus doesn't hesitate to call and attack what it is. And he doesn't play that game. Now Jesus does something that he actually does really often in the Gospels. And you've probably noticed it before. You know, Maybe you've been reading a passage in a Gospel and somebody asks Jesus a question and he responds in a way that's like, 
that answer had nothing to do with the question that was just asked. Jesus does in this instance what he does so often when people come to him with questions. He answers the question behind the question. When the friends bring their mat to the man on a mat paralyzed to Jesus, he forgives his sin. Says the problem you have isn't just the paralysis. He deals with that too. But Jesus is in the business of dealing with the question behind the question, getting to the root of the issue. And so here's what Jesus does. He asks for a coin called a denarius, and it looked like this. It had Caesar's image on it, and it was a common currency in the day of Jesus, equal to about a day's wage for the average laborer. And he asks the question, whose image is on this coin? Whose inscription? Now, the Greek word for image is actually probably, it's going to sound familiar. There's a, almost a one-to-one correlation with the English language with another word. It's the word icon, which means image or likeness. Jesus says, whose icon is on this coin? Caesar's image and inscription, which meant that this coin had worth and purpose only based on the authority of the king Caesar. It was useful only where Caesar ruled and his rule was respected. That is why this is not a viable currency. Because no matter how much respect you have for Shaq, his icon does not carry that kind of weight in the world we live in. It doesn't mean all that much. But Caesar's did. But... Here's where Jesus gets to the question behind the question. Now, this word icon, it appears elsewhere in the Bible. And particularly, Jesus is referencing where it appears in the Greek version of the Old Testament, which would have been the version of the text that the common people were most familiar with in Jesus' day. You see, the Bible is filled with hyperlinks within itself. You come across an idea in one place and it is very common that it is a reference to something that appears elsewhere in Scripture. That's one of the reasons why a deep knowledge of Scripture opens up a world of God's grace to those who encounter and expose themselves to his word often. And so uh, Jesus is referencing, he's hyperlinking to somewhere else that this word appears. And it is in our reading from Genesis this morning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God created mankind in his icona, in his image. In his image, he created them. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but this is actually the first theologically true statement made about humans in the Bible. This is the first thing that God says about us, is that we were created in his image. That means that first and foremost, you 
are created by the word and authority of the creator of the universe, but that uniquely in all of creation you were made in his image. So that's what Jesus is getting at. It says Caesar's image is on the coin, but you've forgotten that God's image is on you. The Pharisees and Herodians try and catch Jesus in a trap with a tricky political question. And Jesus comes in with a reminder that they've lost touch. They've lost sight of who they are. They've gotten caught up in politics and money and power games and lost sight of what this life is truly about. That they were created in the image of God with inherent value and incredible purpose. I want to look at those two things a bit. You see, first, as God's unique creation created in his image, we, you, have inherent value. And your worth before God and in God's family is not based on what you do. It is not based on your salary or your grades, your performance in athletics, or your reputation publicly. God doesn't assess your value or dignity based on the things you do. It is baked into us from the beginning. It's not based on your political affiliations, your prestige, power, influence, or privilege. You are inherently valuable apart from that. And no one can take that away from you. In Colossians chapter 1, it says this. Once you were alienated from God, enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, in God's eyes, while you were still his enemies, you were so valuable to him that the broken body and shed blood of his son was not too high a price to pay for you to be reconciled with your Lord. In God's eyes, you are created in his image and you have value. And the second is this. You were created with a purpose. You was not an accident or mistake of God. He wasn't careless when he made you, and the creator of the cosmos, when he sequenced your DNA personally, in his wonderful love and divine creativity, not a single bit was out of place. He was intentional, and you were created on purpose with a purpose. Now here is my cursory football reference on this most holy of days in America. God did not create anybody to sit on the bench. He created each and every one of us with unique giftings and empowers us with his Holy Spirit so that we can make a meaningful contribution on the field. 
He says he's going to work with you and gift you and work through you through his power to make a difference, to build up his church and to make an impact outside its four walls for the name of his love and justice and his kingdom in a world that is full of injustice, hate, anger, and brokenness. He does not call anyone and he did not create anyone to sit on the bench. You see, the most fundamentally true thing about us is that we've been made in the image of God. Something that Jesus reminds us in this passage today. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's fine. But remember whose you are and in whose image you have been created. The image and inscription of the creator of the universe is etched on your life and nothing can scrub it out. So give to God what is God's. And when you do, you'll find this. You'll find that the one to whom you give yourself has already given so much more for you. That he's given you his promises, his spirit, new life, abundant life, and eternal life. And most of all, he's given you himself, wholly and fully and without regret or reservation. And so when Jesus' body was broken on the cross and his blood was poured out, the king on a cross so that he could make you his son and daughter, so that he could make you his child. Remember that that is the king who has put his inscription, his icon on you. And so, child of God, remember this, that you are his. Not as an oppressed subject to be ruled over and exploited, but as a beloved daughter, a beloved son, made in the image of your king. Amen.